0: doing really well from shock treatment to Jason X to police academy 6 this is sequel cast and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end this is
1: sequel cast and your host Sebastian
0: Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley-Sherge. With me is William Thrasher. Hello
1: everybody out there, and welcome back to our groove.
0: Yeah, and this time around we're looking at the the second and so far final film in the um, Emperor's New Groove duology, I guess you could say. Kronk's New Groove, a direct-to-video sequel... Released in 2005. I want to say really quick the theme song for Sequel Cast 2 is done by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithesea.com. And the um, Sequel Cast 2 is a member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshippretension.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at SequelCast 2. So Kronk's New Groove came out in 2005. The original came out in 2000. So that's pretty quick for a direct video sequel. This is directed by Elliot M. Boer and Saul Andrew Blinkoff, produced by Brutus Fenton and John A. Smith, with a screenplay by Tom Rogers, based off the story by Anthony Leondis and Michael Labash, and uh, featuring the voice talents of Patrick Warburton, Eartha Kitt, John Goodman, and Wendy Malick, but uh, David Spade briefly, and then also Tracy Ullman. Uh, it's music by Janine Tesori. And um yeah this has a running time of 72 minutes which barely qualifies it as feature length. It, it is and
1: blessedly short though you wouldn't know it to watch it.
0: I have seen worse Disney uh, made for TV sequels. Well, I guess that this is
1: will be my opening is that this movie is is not bad. However, it does every non-good thing a movie can do to be not good.
0: Yeah, in fact to uh the first time I watched it was for this show, but you know I was sort of curious when it came out on video. and I saw the title was Kronk's New Groove, I thought, well, of course that makes sense. Kronk was Kronk was the breakout character of the first one, and yet you see Isma in the foreground in the box, and uh, you know Cusco uh, uh, in the background, and I thought, well, maybe they'll have bigger parts in this. And um, the research I did is with the Disney direct-to-video stuff. They either they go one of two ways. These direct-to-video sequels to their theatrical films, they either go and um, have an original story that's a continuation of the the first film, one big story, or they have sort of like three little episodic separate stories that are loosely wrapped around by a bigger story. And the latter is what we have here with Kronk's New Groove.
1: Yeah, what, what this feels like is that they were making a Kronk TV show... But then that got canned, but they had two episodes animated, so they used what money was left to make a wraparound story.
0: It feels... Yeah, it feels cheap. It feels... Um, but, it, you know, the sort of minimalist character design of Emperor's New Groove works well for a direct-to-video sequel. Because the animation, while not as good as the feature film, isn't terrible. I mean, the backgrounds are a lot more simplistic. And... Man, I mean, I guess let's give a brief summary of the the plot of the whole film. We'll and try and we'll cover the characters. Yeah. So in uh, Kronk's New Groove, it takes place after Emperor's New Groove. Kronk is working at a as a chef in the uh, the diner we saw in the first film of Mudka's Meat Hut, and, and he's and
1: doing he, very well for himself. He's he is happy.
0: That's right. He's happy. He's popular, but he is stressed by his father Poppy is coming to visit and. Poppy always insisted he have a wife and a nice house on a hill and all this stuff. And so, to um, initially, he gets involved with Yzma, the the sorceress from the first one.
1: Most of this movie is a flashback because, you know, Kronk, you know, goes to Nipchins when he finds out his father's visiting. And so he he keeps telling uh, the waitress uh, these sob stories about how he once had a house on a hill, but he lost it, and about how he once had a true love and he lost her.
0: Sure. Um, Oh, yeah, sure. So I mean, so the house in the hill they lost at that story involves Izma and a potion. we'll get into that about a woman that he loved that he he lost is um Tracy he's in charge of his uh, voice by Tracy Ullman, right He's in charge of his uh, junior ch- monks and at chip camp uh, Chipa he sort of goes into these um, you know summer camp Olympic competitions with uh, Miss Birdwell, and they sort of fall in love. Can I, can I stop you right there? Yes.
1: So we have characters like Kuzco, and Kronk, and Izma and Pacha. Then we get Birdwell. Is she supposed to be a British time traveler?
0: I think so. You know, I thought with the name Birdwell, she'd have a lot of birds or something, or she could speak to birds well, or it'd be some sort of a pun. But yeah, it, it does uh, stick out like a sore thumb. We'll, we'll get into that later. And then sort of at the end, you know, sort of push comes to shove. Uh, Poppy shows up at the uh, at the diner. And there's all sorts of crazy. Um, farcical antics. Farcical antics of people pretending to be Kronk's wife. And then Poppy finally, uh, a lesson is learned at the end, and Kronk gets along, you know, sort of has a reconciliation of sorts with his father. So, I mean, on, uh, from a very, you know, wide view, that's what the story is. As far as what happens in the movie, I mean, the, the tones in the three segments vary wildly. Some of it is closer to the madcap zaniness of the original but um i i watched most of this on my phone on the bus coming to and from work and i nodded off in the middle segment a few times and i had to rewind and, and catch up on what happened because part of the the film is, is very uninspired i think and it's the first one was so fresh and this one starts off okay and just kind of jumps off a cliff uh, let's talk about you know some of the voice performances if you want to check out um the episode uh, last week was on Emperor's New Groove. Check that out at SequelCast Two. Just look it up on iTunes or do SequelCast Two. Um, so I, I don't really want to go over the performances of the people from the main film, except I will say that David Spade as Cusco is barely in this picture.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so, so is John Goodman. And this is this is the thing is that so I watched I watched this uh, ended up watching this twice in preparation for this episode. In the Why? Second. I, twice i I'm not entirely sure. I guess I'd like to be thorough. That's kind of my my thing. Uh, okay, like to watch it once just as an experience and once to vivisect uh, the film. But the second time I watched it with my wife, and multiple times, you know, I was asked, is that the same actor from the first movie? because all the returning cast members, none of them really sound like themselves. i I feel like if we had the outtakes from this, every line reading, would be followed up by, okay, okay, now let's record the real one.
0: I mean, I want to sort of focus on the the new characters in here, but uh, I think Patrick Warburton does okay. Tracy Ullman is sort of the romantic, um, I wouldn't say lead, but in her segment, it's a big part, Miss Birdwell. And she does a British accent. I did not recognize it as Tracy Ullman. And you think, oh, Tracy Ullman, they'll give her a lot of comedic material. Not really. No, they don't. Of, I mean, they... they yeah, she's her... sort of uptight. She's 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 the... The straight, the straight man or straight woman, if you will, to, to Kronk's you know zany chipmunks uh, he's in chipmunk, season, chipmunk uh, scouts he's in charge of.
1: Well, she they let her do a lot of deep character work, which I think is great. That's one of the things that she is best at is just really, really, really getting into character. That being said, I don't like her softer moments. I like her, I like her character so much better when she's very starchy and and sort of. I guess, you know, military and proper. I, I, I think that's where she does her strongest work in this movie.
0: Right. She gets less interesting as she loosens up. Um, the father, Poppy, is played by John Mahoney, who's best known as the father on the TV show Frasier. And, um, again, he's not given much to do. He just sounds sort of crotchety. There's not, for all the buildup they do to his character, when he shows up, I thought you'd get some character work. Here and there, but not really.
1: Well, the most of it you get is when he's hitting on Pacha and drag.
0: Yes, and that sort of runs its course, uh, as, as we'll get into. I see on Rotten Tomatoes this film holds a 0% approval rating.
1: Really? Is that rare for them?
0: Well, it's a direct-to-video thing, so you're not going off that many reviews. So, mm. let me pull it up. I can get some choice... Uh, Choice quote. I mean, that's only out of six reviews, right? So.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wonder what, I what think this, the AV club's Nathan Rabin had to say.
0: Uh, that's not listed on here, but, you know, one of the ones that is, I, I've never heard of this, 7M Pictures. The the critic Kevin Carr, uh, the sort of highlight they have, which I think is, is fair, a good place to start as any. I always love the character of Kronk, however, it may have been a mistake to give him his own movie.
1: I disagree with that if only because he he is the the he was the breakout the breakout character of the first film and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great comedic and storytelling possibilities we're involving a well-meaning oaf, but he he doesn't really he doesn't really get a chance to shine if this if this wasn't a movie if these were just discreet half hour episodes and a Cronk and Friends TV show I think they'd be a lot more palatable.
0: Well, let's talk about the segments in order. The first one is with the uh, Isma, and I do like that because she was turned into a cat in the first one, and this one she has a hat with cat ears and she has a tail. It's an interesting sort of redesign to her character.
1: Yeah, although they don't do too much with it other than when she first talks to Kronk, she's doing lots of like little cat behaviors and poses in her animation. But I wish, I uh-huh. wish they took that further. I wish, I wish that she was expressing cat traits comedically uh, throughout throughout her segment.
0: So Isma convinces Kronk to sell these potions that will make old people young again.
1: Yeah, because Kronk is friends with all the old, all the retirees in the village, so she knows they'll listen to him. Uh, and and she also she plays she plays to Kronk's desire to have a big house. That's how she talks him into it without him asking too many questions. Um, and I love the medicine show bit. I am a sucker for for medicine shows. Uh, we talked about in in the our discussion of the emperor's new groove how it's a crime that Isma doesn't get a villain song well they give her a villain song in this movie called one in a million where she's she's you know telling Kronk about how uh, you can help me to help you to help them uh and it's it's a very okay song but it feels like a first draft
0: yeah it's not very well arranged I, I think um in, in the opening credits you get uh, a number, kind of like in the original film, um, but it's sung by a different character about Kronk. How Kronk has his groove or something. And I think that, that's an okay number. It's energetic enough. But yeah, Isma's... I'm glad they gave her something to do. But um, and what's really interesting, though, is if you go... Uh, on the soundtrack to the original Emperor's New Groove, they have one of the cut songs from the original draft oh. of Emperor's New Groove that uh, Eartha Kitt performs.
1: Well, is, is that the one where it's her own verse of the groove song from the beginning, or, or is this a No, whole it's, whole a, it's a
0: it's a different number talking about how she's against the sun god, and I, I think in part of Sting's contract, he could include some of those old songs uh, out of the earlier version of the film oh, on wow. there. So. I'll
1: have to track that it's down. A,
0: yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, but. And
1: like the song. So, the, the One in a Million song. It does play to a lot of Eartha Kitt's strengths as a vocalist. But it, it's just. It doesn't feel finished. And did you get through the all the credits in this film? No. Because in the credits. They play an extra verse of that song. Uh, which it's. It's not necessarily a verse of such high quality that I felt it should have been included with the original number, but it makes reference to the movie taking place in the year 609. Huh? It's just like it's a, like an oddly specific date. I, I, I did some research. I couldn't find like anything uh, involving like Mesoamerica on that date. All, all, all I could find is that that is supposed to be the date where the Prophet Muhammad had his uh, first vision. That was all I could dig up.
0: I do like with uh, this uh, first out of the three you know, main stories in the film that we get some madcap action with Kronk zipping around. Uh, we also, one of the retirees is the old man that keeps on getting thrown off the bridge.
1: Oh yeah, from the first film.
0: In the first film, although sadly, you know, uh, Kronk, there's a scene where Kronk uh, sort of, you know, bashfully reveals that this is a fake, you don't need it. And uh, the one of the old men, you know, says like, oh, give me the juice. And then he does a Gollum, my precious joke. Yeah, that, that made
1: me groan out loud. That was kind of the only that was that was the only laugh that this movie got out of my wife.
0: The only laugh um, I had was, well, I had two. One was in the beginning where we get, or near the beginning, I think, where, where David Spade comes in and narrates it kind of like he did in parts of Emperor's New Groove, and he shows the video box for the first film, and he's like, that's my movie, and then he pulls out the video box for this Kronk's New Groove and says, this is Kronk's movie. My movie, Kronk's movie. And it was just... Uh, David Spade seems energetic, but he's not in this much. Well, he's he's doing like he's doing classic
1: Cusco uh, shtick, and it is and it is funny. Yeah. Although I wish I kind of wish they just made him the narrator throughout the whole film. I think I think he would have really kept this film's energy up if if he was the person narrating all the action, and it wasn't. We it would help. It would just it would just generally help.
0: Well, just give it more energy. I mean, what else do you think of this first segment of the film? Well, I feel. I feel like
1: that they it, the story needed uh, uh, some work because it because it turns out, of course, now Isma, who can make potions, she hasn't really made uh, an, an elixir of youth. It's just slime that she's collecting out of a pipe, which you think would make people sick. So all the benefits that the old people feel, it's just uh, it's just a placebo effect. But there's a really weird turn in this because you know is making a big deal about how she wants a gold. Like, that's the double meaning in one in a million. Uh, it's that she's literally talking about, like, Kronk will get, like, one gold coin for every million she makes. But mm. we've come to find out that the reason she needs this money is she needs to fund a political campaign because she's going to run for emperor, which is apparently an elected office now. But then that gets dropped so quick. <laughs>
0: I mean, that right there could have been the plot for the whole thing, right?
1: A a snake oil salesman running for the highest office in the land? You crazy.
0: And instead, they drop it like a hot potato. And um, you miss Yzma when she's not here. I mean, she was not one of my favorite characters in the original, but she gave it a certain energy. And you really have a a lack of um, conflict in this picture after this first segment. Because there's no out-and-out bad guy. It's just, it's very episodic and, and stuff happens.
1: Yeah, like, Isla could have been a much stronger thread, you know, going going through everything. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about where she could have been fit into the second segment later, but what did you, what did you think about the the, the ending to this where when uh Kronk reveals that the potions are fake and all the old people realize that they're not getting any younger, which you'd think they would have noticed. There's like opportunities to see your reflection everywhere. Um and they start they there's that madcap chase sequence.
0: The chase sequence at least feels more like something from the first film, but then, you know, the animation can't quite be as zany. You have the music is exciting enough, but it it just feels like they're they're trying to copy the first film and poorly. Yeah, although I do I'd...
1: I do kind of I do kind of like the the end where you know Yzma pulls out that potion and says you know no if I drink this no one will be able to lay a hand on me she drinks it and she turns into the most adorable cute bunny ever and so no one wants to do yep. any harm to her which is great although I gotta love the the treacle cutting turn when a hawk just swoops out of nowhere and snatches her up.
0: Yeah, that is a nice beat. It it was sort of nice too when the old people first take the potion and they all start um hitting on each other and dancing around. I thought that was sort of a fun moment. You don't see that a lot.
1: Well well, I but but you do because the having every character start breakdancing and doing hip hop, busting hip hop moves thanks to pixar every goddamn movie ends with that and not pixar i'm sorry thanks to dreamworks every goddamn movie ends with that now and what little comic value that had uh, just only made me angry because of all those forced dance sequence endings
0: so the the second as you mentioned it sort of cuts back to the wraparound story and Kronk is crying
1: yeah well cuz cuz he he gets enough money to buy a house so he buys the the old folks sell him their home so that they can get more potion he demolishes that home builds a bigger house on top of it but then at the end sells that home back to the old folks so that they have a place to stay which which is it's nice like i like i like that he does right by by the people that he he defrauded or helped to defraud and that they they end up with a nicer with like a nicer place uh to live but it I don't know, if it's it's a little too nice and tidy.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it it's a feel-good moment that doesn't quite earn it.
1: Although oh, did you catch any of the uh did you catch the uh little classic Disney reference in his uh in his home? No. So there's there's a, a non sequitur gag where he has a he has a, a train that runs through his home that takes you to a pancake fixing station. Uh and the last car on the train is the deluxe train car uh, from the end of Dumbo. Hmm. And in fact, the whole train has the color scheme uh, of the train from uh, Dumbo, the Casey Junior train.
0: How about that? We, um, I mean, so so the next segment is sort of what I more thought this movie would be based on the ending of Emperor's New Groove, where it shows Kronk in charge of Junior Chipmunks, and he um. Guides these uh, junior chipmunks to this uh, nearby lake.
1: Well, there's gonna be there's gonna be a big like uh, competition between between the different troops. Although it's really only two troops, this is hardly a jamboree.
0: And what's weird is they get disqualified, but then they insist on competing anyway. Well, they get disqualified
1: from the first event, the swimming event, because apparently the teams have to compete in uh, chronological or not chronological in alphabetical order.
0: Yep, and you have sort of the uh, ongoing joke of Kronk and Junior Chipmunks. Their motto is all about fun. You keep the
1: focus on fun.
0: Keep the focus on fun. And with uh, Miss Birdwell, it's, it's very much uh, by the books and, oh, we got to practice this 20 more times before bedtime. Very fastidious.
1: Well, overall, the story in this section kind of works better because it's all—it's all, it's all about—it's all about Kronk and Birdwell sort of competing for the wrong reasons and and pushing pushing their charges to to do things that they probably shouldn't do. You know, they—they're—they're they're taught competition without honor.
0: In a way, it reminds me of the late '70s movie Meatballs. Oh, yeah, with uh, with Bill Murray. With Bill Murray, yep.
1: God, that's that's a series we might have to cover if we want to go deep into a B-movie series those sequels you would not tell what from the, watching the first movie you wouldn't guess what the sequels were about
0: yeah Corey Feldman is in Meatballs 4 um, and Alien is them, Meatballs I think, Meatballs 2 the, the tricky thing yeah uh, also there's Porky's considering low cheese and Porky's 2
1: The Next Day Porky's
0: three, Porky's revenge. Um, <laughs> Smokey is the Porky. Ugh, oh, that sounds like a sausage uh, motto. So, so I mean, this, this middle segment I thought is by far the worst. It just is the same stuff where the little kids, you know, make jokes about Kronk and Birdwell having goo goo eyes for each other. The the competition stuff. Uh, they can't, you know, afford the animation for it to look really over the top. It looks okay but um well there's, I mean, there's a lot the, of missed yeah.
1: opportunities in this because i like there's a scoreboard that we see throughout this and a, if, if the scoreboard is anything to go by this competition apparently has 18 there are 18 events in this competition but we only get to see five
0: not just that you have a, a big subplot in there of a typo, one of the chipmunks I don't mean chipmunk in the literal sense. Chipmunk is just what they call the, like the Cub Scouts or whatever they're supposed to be. But the, the boy says, you know, he thinks of something that Kronk says earlier, we're going to do anything to win. And so he... Uh, he cheats. Has some, he cheats, yeah. He, he, makes, he gets uh, some itching powder and puts it on the chalk that the other team uses to put on their hands so they have a better grip while they do their routine. And they all get... Um, they all get itchy, but it it doesn't go over the top enough, I think. And it does you think it would happen right away, and instead they do most of the routine, then the itchiness sets in.
1: Well, well, even then, the the routines limit limits of the animation. The routines aren't nearly as impressive as they need to be.
0: I have to say, this is the only film I know of that has a raisin bread as sex metaphor. Oh, they
1: don't. It's not even a metaphor.
0: <laughs> that, especially there's so, that scene. Yeah. Let,
1: let, yeah. Let's let's cut to it. So both Birdwell and Kronk <laughs> decide that to pick up their camper's spirits, they're gonna make they're gonna make homemade raisin bread for them. But neither one has enough ingredients, so they end up bonding over cooking raisin bread. But it turns into this uh this you know this whole musical number. And there's references. And, and the, the music
0: number is the Earth, Wind, and Fire classic. Let's groove because it has groove which, in the title. It, it is, and it's. It's an older song, it but it, you know it works. But like we see, like we get a reference to the
1: cl- the pottery scene in Ghost. But there, there's an outright scene where they're kneading the dough, and it's Kronk <laughs> behind Birdwell, and we see them both from the front, and they're doing this back
0: and forth motion. It's like they're jerking off the raisin. No,
1: they're fucking. They're bent over. They're bent over a table, fucking. <laughs> like that's there's no metaphor here. Like it's just out. It's outright sex.
0: If we could see Not just that, you know, once you stick it in the oven you gotta wait an hour or something, so
1: <laughs> that's that's enough time to, to, to halfway make love, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you know, there's uh, you don't get a scene of them waking up with like flour and egg drippings on their face or something.
1: Although so it's... oh so this is some this is something that my wife <laughs> pointed out. The raisin bread is made with raisins that fell on the floor. That's right. Yeah, because they get into a fight over a box of raisins. And this is, this is a running gag that I, that I liked, is that there's a carton of eggs. Oh, with the this sign? This yeah. eggs, property of Cronk, not to be touched by anyone except Cronk. And then Birdwell has the box, Birdwell's raisins, not raisins. to be touched by anyone except Birdwell, property of Birdwell. And that pays off later when the itching powder sack says, like, Tico's itching powder, property, property of, of Tico, Tico, not to be touched by anyone but Tico.
0: And Tracy Ullman does a good line reading of that. She does it so straight. And I, I do like, uh, the only thing I like about that is that the raisin bread sex scene that we went over, but also the, um, the conflict that Kronk has. Is he going to lie and, and is he going to man up and take the responsibility for his team? Or is he going to let the kid get in trouble for it?
1: And he does. I like, I like that he takes the responsibility and, and learns that he was pushing his kids in the wrong areas.
0: Uh, Even though that turns Miss Birdwell off and she's because we should mention, you know, when they get the itching powder, she falls into the mud. He's unable to save her.
1: Oh, so something I liked that I wish they had take they had gone farther with during the whole bread baking, dancing, lovemaking montage, we get two shots of. Of Kronk uh, and Birdwell recreating classic Disney romantic scenes, we see them in *The Lady and the Tramp* doing the well, whole meatball thing. Spaghetti. Oh, yeah. Only it's a pill bug which comes to life and turns into a face hugger, which was really, really great. They should have. There should have been three of those. You need. You need threes for comedy, but we only get one other one, and it's from it's from the Disney Tarzan movie,
0: which wasn't like that was not particularly iconic. No, and it wasn't that long ago either. Like Yeah, that's a weird one. You think if they're going to pull back with the lady in the tramp which I think is from like the 50s or 60s or something like that. Well, you there's would, uh,
1: there's so many more. There's so many classic, iconic Disney romance uh, moments. They could have they could have put them in. They could have put them into a Beauty and the Beast, the, the tale's oldest time moment. They could have put them into the uh, well,
0: with, with all the animals. I mean, you know, Sleeping Beauty has all that stuff. Oh the, yeah, Snow White, right? It has all this stuff with the the nature, the animals floating around. Yeah, it, 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 it's an odd choice, and you, um, I don't know if you. I felt a bit bad when Miss Birdwell kind of, you know, walks away. But at the same time, I thought, oh, well, that's a very it's a very grown up decision. And I, I, I really did think she was not going to come back.
1: I did, too. But I thought that's because the movie would forget to tie up any loose ends. Not that that's a loose end. There's finality in that moment. I think that's one of the reasons why the story in this segment is stronger. Uh, there's the character. Cronk has an arc and it ends with a sense of finality.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that that second segment, it sort of led in, A, because the animation, and B, at least the the first segment with the the youth potions had some of the zany, madcap energy of the original film. And uh, it's just not nutty enough, all the counselor shtick. So, you know what this segment needed... It needed... A musical number? Well, that that could have been fun,
1: too. Like, you could have turned, like, the chipmunk cheer into a real musical number. That would have been nice. Mm. I wish I had thought of that. But I feel like there... If this is supposed to be, like, a jamboree with a real competition, there need to be other campers. And what the hell? Why can't you have the evil team of campers led by Yzma? Mm. Have her trying to sabotage both teams.
0: Yeah, I mean that could, it would have had you know a, a, you know three is more interesting dramatically than two. Yeah, and, and maybe the the two teams would uh, team up against Isma's team,
1: which, which could be cool. Yeah, there there could mm-hmm. be a lesson to be learned there. And the other thing is you you could have a lot of fun with Isma's uh, evil team uh, be, if only if only it could be rabbits. If if only because you know she's she's somehow she's doing this to get I guess gold for her campaign for emperor or whatnot, but you you make, you know what you do for her team? Her team aren't kids because she couldn't get any, she couldn't find any parents negligent enough to give her charge of their kids. So instead, all of her kids are just woodland critters that she gathered up and made drink an essence of human potion that turned them into humans. Mm. But they still act like animals and they can't speak.
0: Yeah, you could have some good uh, physical business going on there. And uh, I mean... Again, like the first segment, this sec- second segment could have been the plot of the whole show. It feels like you're, again, sort of cut off a bit before it's time. And we go into the third and, uh, I think, shortest segment, which... Well, it's, it's the conclusion of the wrap around, but it takes so it, it is. long. And it's, it's funny, but it kind of beats the same joke over the head again and again. So it, it sort of reiterates what's brought up at the beginning, but they don't spend much time on for half the picture. More than that, actually, in, in that Kronk's father, Poppy, is coming. And Kronk is so wound up about it, and he said, Oh, I uh, gee, what what can I do about this? And, uh, well, because he, cause he and told his the meantime, father that yeah. he
1: has the house on the hill, and that he has, has a right. wife. He never told him he lost these things. And he's so desperate for his father's approval, he wants a thumbs up.
0: And when um, Pacha and Chicha are there, he wants to have Chicha lie and say that Chicha is his wife, and that their house is his house, and uh, that her kids are his kids.
1: And that kind of spirals out of control, because Pacha, she never really agrees to it, she just kind of gets forced into it, but Pacha only gets half the plan, so Pacha dresses up like a woman and pretends to be Mrs. Cronk, and the old man uh, dresses up as a woman and pretends to be Mrs. Cronk, and Kuzco shows up pretending to be Mrs. Cronk in, in a great uh, performance,
0: uh, and also, some of the old men from the first segment show up to try and be like kids. Yeah, they dress up as babies, diapers.
1: pretending to be his kids. I wish, I wish that had gone about ten percent crazier.
0: Yeah, it's not quite there. I mean, they could have done. You know, what if they would have set up something like speed dating, with all of uh, Kronk's wives, something.
1: Uh, speed dating wasn't much of a thing then. I don't think that would have occurred to them. But you know, like the the mo the moment where Poppy says, you know, how many misses how many misses Kronk's are there? That should have been a bigger moment.
0: Yeah, it sort of underplayed. And then when uh, Poppy sort of admits, "Well, look at all these friends you have." You know, that's uh, I'm so proud of you. And he gives he gives Kronk you know the thumbs up. Kronk has been craving all his life. They, they really try to play it as an emotional moment, but it's not nearly as, um, satisfying as they want it to be well
1: it's un, it's it's i guess if it, it, yeah it feels it feels unearned uh and it's part, partly because we, we have no reason why why poppy changes his mind and it also undercuts that by that point in the story cronk has learned that he doesn't really need his father's approval you know to, to he can just live a happy life the way he wants to live it on his own terms so that kind of undercuts uh that message uh, and it's also it's like it's also it's 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 such a turn because they set up so early that, like, that, you know, clear, clearly Kronk's passion is to be a chef. And they make it clear that ever since he was a little kid, he loved to cook. And his father always disapproved for whatever reason. I wish we could have learned why he disapproved. And I wish we could have learned why he changes his mind about that later.
0: Yeah, the only thing you get about Poppy is that he has, oh, there's a, a running gag where it's like the eyebrow of righteousness and all these things. All these, uh... What? terrifying expressions. Well, and he looks more like a sh- pirate, short. really. Well, and, he's, and he's short. He's ridiculously yeah. he short,
1: which is which is kind of funny, but they don't do too much with it. Although it's set up very well because early on we only know Poppy from Kronk's flashbacks, and all those flashbacks are when he's like practically a toddler. So of course his father's uh-huh. going to look huge to him. And then Miss
0: Birdwell showing up at the end feels cheap and unearned it's oh, nice yeah. to see her again but of we don't know
1: we don't why know. She, we don't know why she's back right I have nothing against the two characters reconciling because they did have a, have a connection but there's no reason for the reconciliation and she also shows up like she's ready for a wedding
0: that's very odd isn't it because yeah, there's not even a priest there as a character.
1: Which, also, we learn that when when Kronk gets married, it's going to be a Jewish ceremony.
0: Hmm. It, yeah, it just doesn't quite work. A, um, It's a not great ending to a not great movie. I mean, this could have been worse. I would say Kronk's new groove is better than Hunchback of Notre Dame 2. But it's worse than Beauty and the Beast um, 2. The
1: Magical Christmas?
0: Yes, Magical Christmas, where Tim Curry plays an organ. Not that organ. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Tim Curry has quite the organ, or so, I hear.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, especially squeeze box. Okay, so... What what do you think about Kronk's new groove, Thrasher? Any last thoughts? Ah...
1: Uh, I... F- there, there is, there is more I could say about this because there's just lots of like little, little things I, I noticed. But no, it's just, it's not, it's, it's not good. It's, it's, it's not good even for a, a Disney direct to, to video sequel, which, and. and and you you can tell so I don't know if you you read all the credits I did this was not even anim- this wasn't even done by the Disney animation staff all the animation in this movie was farmed out to two other animation studios it was one of them in Canada uh, it, the, the nation of origin was not specified uh, in, okay. in the description but. I mean, it it just it hammers it hammers home that these are such an afterthought for Disney, but they make them because they're very cheap to make, and this certainly does not look that expensive, uh, and it's guaranteed to make money because it's got the it's got you know the brand, one of these direct
0: videos. Do you know one of the Disney direct to video sequels did get a theatrical release? Uh, which what? one was that? Jungle Book. I did not know that. Yep, for some reason that one got a theatrical release, but most of the time these things are just straight to video, and they do a lot of them because they're profitable. And um, yeah, Jungle Book 2 was in 2003.
1: Well, all right. So, so uh, we we went to a an art and design college together. That's where we met. Uh, and uh, I, for a time, pursued uh, a, a film major and did some studying in animation. Um, I had a professor who uh, who used to, who was an animator, uh, and who a friend of his, who I think was a former college roommate back when he was in college, was the head of the department at Disney that made these direct to video movies. Hmm. And what what he what he said is that no one at Disney wants to make these movies except the money men at the top. The animators and writers and artists don't don't like doing them because they feel they cheapen the legacy of of the classic films that they end up doing sequels right. to, like the Bambi sequel and the Lion King sequels. Uh, but but also hmm. the, the Disney company itself doesn't care. Their their only mandate is to get a, a get a DVD out at a certain length. By a certain time, and they don't really, the, the higher-ups just don't give a damn what the content is. So it's just, and since nobody really wants to work on these, it's an afterthought. Everything is an afterthought that's bundled into a somewhat
0: coherent film. Yeah, and it shows with this. Uh, I, I would say sequel no for this. I, I will I will echo that, sequel no.
1: So if, just find find the raisin bread making scene and just watch that. And yeah, if, yeah, if that... you want to, watch Yzma's musical number just to get a taste of what could have been. Uh, but that's it.
0: The raisin bread sequence is worth uh, looking up on YouTube. I'll give you that. So um, let's do a pitch of sequel. Thrasher, what did you have in mind?
1: All right. Well, my, my sequel is going to tie in with what I said. There needs to be a full-on Junior Chipmunks jamboree. Uh, so... My so my sequel, uh, my sequel is gonna be the Chipmunks' new groove, uh, and there'll be a disclaimer saying that it's not related to the David Seville Chipmunks, uh, but there's a true Chipmunk, uh, Junior Chipmunks or Junior Woodchuck or whatever the hell they're called, uh, jamboree. So Kronk's gonna have his scouts there, um, Birdwell's gonna have her scouts there, Izma's gonna have her scouts there, uh, and Cusco. Uh, because it's like a big thing, you know. You know. You know how like the the president of the United States is always invited to the Boy Scout, uh, the big Boy Scout jamboree. Yes. Well, that hap- that happens here. Cusco as emperor uh, is invited, and he decides. Well, hell, my friend Kronk's going to be there. Why not? But of course. Uh, the, and so he's so he's going to be there and make an appearance and give his blessing to the whole to do. But Izuma knows he's coming and still wants revenge on Cusco. So that's why she makes a fake troop of scouts and turns a bunch of savage animals into human children. Is uh, just all part of her part of her cover. And once again, she wants to. She's going to try to kill Cusco with poison. But wouldn't you know it? while uh, there's a hilarious mix-up, and instead. Kuzco drinks the fountain of youth potion she's working on. So he becomes a kid. So Kuzco until they can find it. And so he goes to Kronk for help. And so until they can find a way to make Kuzco an adult again, uh, Kuzco joins the, joins the junior woodchucks and kind of learns, learns about, uh, he already learned his lesson about friendship, but now he learns about responsibility and teamwork. He sees how hard Kronk works for, for what he believes in Uh you know, he, he he realizes that, you know, he, he can't just showboat around. He has to really work with his team so that they can win uh, They can win competitions. Uh, and it'll end with a whole crazy mix-em-up uh, at a big event. Maybe it's similar to soccer or lacrosse or, or an actual Mesoamerican sport, maybe puck-to-puck or something like that. Uh, and he does finally get turned back into his, his adult form just in time to give the trophy to the winning team, which will actually turn out to be Birdwell's team. I like the subversion when the protagonists aren't the one who co- aren't the ones who come in first, uh, and there is the issue of fairness since the emperor was on their team. Isma uh, will be trounced. All of her, uh, all of her uh, animals are, will turn back into their original forms. She will accidentally, she will, she will drink a potion thinking it's the youth potion, uh, and we will see how she imagines herself looking when she's young. It'll be a real, almost Jessica Rabbit bombshell type character design. But the potion she drinks uh, is the wrong potion. It turns her into a llama, and so all it ends with all the predators that she had turned human chasing her through the woods or through the jungle, trying to devour her. And what would it be called? Uh, it would be called. Uh, it would be called uh, the Junior Chipmunk's New Groove.
0: So mine is sort of like a what if concept on the first film. Oh. And it would have Cusco narrate it, and he's like, you know, what, everyone liked my first adventure. That's fine, but what if it would have happened a different way? And it's uh, it, it starts off with the segment where Kronk is supposed to murder Cusco. And this time, the devil on his shoulder is so convincing, he actually kills Cusco. Wow! Throws him to his death. And Cusco's dead. And instead, what happens after that is uh, Kronk goes back to Yzma. Yzma says, you know, uh, now, now that I'm going to be the emperor, I really want to take over this land, which, which is where Pacha lives. And you've got to uh, take care of, of Pacha and, and give him this uh, potion, which happens to be the llama potion. And, uh, however, when he turns uh-huh. Pacha into a llama, because Pacha is such a strong family, they help him th- through this quest to, uh, to, get, to the, um, get to the palace. And uh, you get a final fight of Kronk versus Pacha, and Kronk gets turned into a ram. And so you get the ram sort of charging into the llama, which by itself, aside from a long neck, he you know, you know, has to use him and his, uh, his wits and his family to defeat Kronk. And uh, Kronk turns back into humans, Pacha wins, and at the end Pacha is made the new emperor.
1: Huh. So so it's just it's just sort of so it's just Kuzco sort of just bullshitting and imagining how this could have unfolded differently. It's not like uh it's not like right. a it's a wonderful life thing.
0: No, no, it's not like he tries to kill him. <laughs> He wonders what the world's like without him. No, it's he's just sort of telling a story. He he's drunk on bug juice, and um, and at the end, you know, Pacha sort of says like, "Hey, I like that story a lot." Can I be emperor? And then Koos goes like, "Nah," and then it ends on kind of a stupid note. So that that's my idea. I think Pacha they'd never do enough with, and giving him his own show would be sort of interesting. Uh, before we move into the next segment, I do want to briefly bring up the, uh, this um, movie had a spin-off TV show, The Emperor's New School. Oh, yeah. Ran for two seasons from 2006 to 2008, so pretty um, pretty soon after maybe a year or so after this one came out. It wasn't good. I, I watched part of an episode. Uh, I will say that J.P. Manu, who voices the David Spade part, is a good sound alike for David Spade. Oh,
1: no, he can do the voice, but the animation is abysmal and the stories are awful. And just recontextualizing the character into a high school. Oh, God. They already did that with the Disney animated Hercules series. They do not need to tread that ground again.
0: Oh, was that the story for Hercules? Yeah, or... the
1: um, the Disney Hercules animated series. Uh, you you remember in the Her, in the Disney Hercules movie that whole uh, "To Be a Hero" song, where it's it's a, where it's a, a whole long training montage, and at the beginning he's really skinny, yeah. and at the end he's really yep. buff. Well, the the premise of the show is that that training montage covered several years of time, and part of his training was was going to school uh and so it's it's him in a high school his best friend is uh, is uh is uh, Icarus played by French Stewart uh their art teacher is uh Pygmalion it's full of a lot of really fun like greek references to greek and roman mythology it was actually a pretty good show merv griffin plays an a, a griffin named merv which is a nice touch um that's a that's a good show emperor's new school was not a good show
0: hmm i do think uh oh and every yeah, evil tried...
1: plot of Izma involved intentionally turning Cusco into an animal to humiliate him
0: what's strange is this uh show supposed to take place after the first movie
1: yeah like he Even... se- he seems like he's in his early 20s when when he's entered like when we see him in the first film but apparently no apparently he's a teenager
0: he has to go back to school and pass the classes so he can remain emperor. Or maybe
1: or maybe it's creepy. Maybe he's not a teenager. Maybe he's in his mid-twenties and going to school to get his GED. Well,
0: well that would be somewhat interesting. I mean, I, I will give him credit. You know, John Goodman for season two went back to reprise the role of Pacha. You have Wendy Malik as uh, Chicha again. Eartha Kitt's Yzma. Patrick Warburton as Kronk. So you get a lot of people reprising their roles uh, from the original films. But, yeah, I I tried watching the first episode and could not make it all the way through, to be honest. But, Um, hey,
1: Rip Taylor is the royal record keeper.
0: And how. But, uh, you know, I mean, what's this never really got a release on video. Disney hasn't done a great job of releasing their stuff. I think they were still waiting on, like, the last volume of Gargoyles to come out on DVD. So... That's my rant. Uh, on to what you're watching. Um, I've been watching a, a documentary on uh, streaming for free on Amazon Prime. Oh. Called The Brainwashing of My Dad. It is directed by Jen Senko and it's about uh, a sort of phenomenon that she noticed where uh, she noticed with her dad and then she got a lot of people uh, that she interviews on Skype that sort of say the same story. Hmm. Where their parent might have started, their father might have started more left leaning, or but then started watching and listening to a lot of right wing radio and Fox News, and they just pair it with what they hear on the radio and the TV and just get angry and grumpy all the time. Hmm. Um, I've seen that happen to some degree with my dad, although my dad was always conservative, but he certainly talks about it more with uh, him being retired and watching the news programs and stuff. And it, what I like about it is it gives some historical context to where this. Uh, sort of ideology started with Roger Ailes, who's, you know, the head guy in charge of Fox news, but he started as a, Oh, as sort of like a, a what do you call it? Like a, a media helper guy for Nixon consultant. Yeah. Uh. To have Nixon improve his TV image and speeches and so forth. Cause Nixon was famously terrible on television with the debate with Kennedy and so forth. Um, so, but the the thing that's bad about it is you just have all these interviews that just repeat the same information. And what's really distracting is the person that makes the documentary, she narrates some of it and she's okay. But also some of the narration is done by Matthew Modine, who's a producer on it. Uh. And his narration is so much more professional than hers is. And it tries to do the Michael Moore thing of having the documentarian be a character in the documentary. Uh. And it doesn't really work, because all we see her is sitting on a couch looking at the person she's talking to, whether it's Noam Chomsky or whomever, and nodding her head. And so she doesn't have that personality there to, to I think, justify, even though it's based on her story, in a sense, to justify um, her being on camera so much. So, I mean, it's brief, it's interesting. It's not...
1: I was actually, I've heard of this and I was considering watching it. Would you recommend that I watch it or have I kind of already learned everything I need from your description? I think
0: you've learned everything you need to know. I mean, I think if you watch the trailer, you get the idea. I was expecting something more or some amazing, you know, revelation, or maybe they talk to Fox News people, but that doesn't really happen. They talk to a guy who used to be a Fox News commentator and then he um, later wrote some books and washed his hands of it. Uh, But yeah, it. It just feels sort of cheap, and I don't know. I think it could have used a bit more, a bit more focus. It told me something I already knew, and I learned a little bit, but not enough to recommend it. Hmm.
1: Well, uh, I recently watched a, uh, I th- a movie that I think thinks that it's a horror comedy called Dead West.
0: That is a it's movie. A-
1: uh, it it is a movie it's uh it's written and directed by uh Jeff Jeff Farrell it's available on a few uh, streaming sites uh but it's it's about a guy who's like who's driving tr- through uh, who's driving through Texas uh and the, the short of it is turns out this guy is a serial killer uh but the movie the movie is very episodic every scene's kind of its own little vignette and th- things don't really start happening until after the halfway point when he he meets a waitress that he falls in love with, and they go out, they go traveling and killing together, but then they're going to get married by an Elvis impersonator, and then he decides that it won't work, and the movie, the movie just, oh no, no, I'm sorry, she's not a waitress, I think she turns out to be a prostitute, but the... But the the movie the movie just kind of like drags and never never gets to a point. And something that I thought was so weird while I was watching it. Have you ever heard of the uh, musician uh, who goes by the name of Voltaire? Yes. So yeah, our listeners might remember him. He was the voice of the evil singing meteorite on the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. He has this kind of voice when he sings. Well, all. Almost all the music in this movie is his music and it's such a it's such a weird pairing, even though it's him trying to do country western music, which he's not it's kind of out of his milieu. He's not entirely I respect the effort but he's not entirely successful at it. And and it's so but then then it all kind of snapped together because in in the final act of the movie, he plays the pimp Shug white and he's awful it's It's like he's trying to do a Sasha Baron Cohen character. If Sasha Baron Cohen had a character who was a gay pimp, a white gay Jewish pimp, that would be this character. Hmm. and i'm I'm a fan of Voltaire. It was just it was such an anomaly seeing him turn up in this in this live action movie.
0: So it doesn't sound like you'd recommend it.
1: No, no, I guess I, I don't. It's just that this is this was the most recent film that I saw before uh, uh, before doing the Emperor's or sorry before doing uh, Kronk's New Groove.
0: Nice. It's well
1: shot. Like it's well shot. It's very professionally made. It's just that it, it never it never gets to a point. The movie needs a coherent story, uh, and it it needs better performances. It is just one damn thing after another.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it does sound like Kronk's New Groove in that point of view. (laughs) Hey, Um, connection. Connection. Okay, so next time on Sequel Cast 2, to get you a heads up for the next few episodes, we're going to look at Mortal Kombat, followed by Mortal Kombat Annihilation, followed by an episode, you know, sort of a gap episode that's sort of a, a, a sequel to something we discussed earlier in the first series, the TV movie of Rocky Horror Picture Show, called Rocky Horror Picture Show, Let's Do the Time Warp Again. <laughs> yes, that's the whole title. I'm not sure why.
1: Um, I, I, d- differentiation, I guess. I don't know. We'll find out when we get to it.
0: But if you want to watch these, uh, you know, uh, Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation are available streaming on Netflix in the United States. And Rocky Horror Picture Show, the remake, is available streaming on Hulu Plus. And hey, um, s- s- can...
1: and since it's a, a movie based on, uh, based on a video game, why not treat yourself to an extra viewing of the Super Mario Brothers movie while you're at it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Why not? There's never uh, never enough uh, Super Mario Brothers.
1: Not the for movie. me, no.
0: In fact, for April Fool's Day, the Super Mario Brothers, the movie uh, Facebook page, fan site. Posted a picture from Theodore Rex and claimed it was a deleted scene from the Mario Brothers two movie.
1: Yeah, they claimed that there was a <laughs> it was from a Mario Brothers movie that got scrapped. Uh, uh that was delightful. It was very professionally was very, done too.
0: Very good fake. Yeah, filmed at a shot at an angle. Well, yeah, because it was supposed they tried to make it look like it was from an entertainment
1: magazine. So there was a fake. You could see part of a fake article attached to it to lend it legitimacy. I right. like that touch.
0: Very good cropping. So uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at SequelCast2. Um, leave a review for SequelCast2 on iTunes. You can also hear us on other websites like uh, Stitcher or Blueberry or what have you. Just look up SequelCast2. You can find us. Uh, on Facebook, uh, join our Facebook page. Just look up SequelCast2 there. The link's also in the show notes. And um, follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T.
1: And you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor.
0: Remember, the next three episodes we're doing are Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, TV movie that was on Fox. It's going
1: to be a fun so, month.
0: Yeah, so uh, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, Are you looking for this? Oh yes, looks uh, looks very nice. Now let me just Get this raisin bread out of my pants. Get yourself, get yourself some popcorn. Get yourself a little sippy sip of your favorite sipping drink. I do like my sipping drink.
1: I love that animation of him with like the little, the little cup with the bendy straw. You know, sippy sip. Uh, it's a, it's yeah. a great bit of character work. Probably the best anime the best animation in this movie is in that little bit of character work with the with the bendy straw.
0: I just want to see an animated gif of. Um... Kronk and Birdwell fucking with the raisin bread just like looping over and over I, again
1: I'm sure we can make that happen let's let's make that happen put it all over the Twitter
0: yeah, I do like that song Let's Groove by Earth, Wind, and Fire I think that oh, was a good choice it's so good they didn't need to play the whole number, mind you. But
1: well, they had to put in all that break dancing, but but hey, they, they reproduce all the those uh, Michael Jackson Thriller moves. But hey, as I learned in a pre production class in college, uh, you can't copyright choreography, so they are free and clear.
0: I just think of Thriller now, and I I think of the uh, the classic YouTube clip of it's a bunch of prisoners somewhere in Asia doing the Thriller dance. It's like a thousand of them.
1: Oh yeah, that was that was hot a few years ago.
0: They did a few different things, and also along those lines, uh, I don't know how I stumbled onto this at work because I was bored. But the um, Gangnam Style had a cover music video filmed by MIT students. That was huh. pretty well done, and they even got Noam Chomsky to do a cameo. <laughs> and steep. he just says like Noam Chomsky style, and like he does it like off beat and there's no music in the background when he's on but it it, it works in spite of itself. <laughs> so yeah, next week we're going to do a Mortal Kombat followed by Mortal Kombat Annihilation and then uh, uh something on the Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, remake. Something we don't know what might be a podcast, oh. might Oh, it's a podcast <laughs> of course. Um also we've been uh getting some recommendations for from listeners for stuff to us to for stuff for us to do. We've had a uh, A few people have suggested the Marvel Phase 1 movies, Hmm. which is a possibility. And then we've also had people suggest the uh, theatrical Hellraiser films.
1: Oh, that would be a a great undertaking, but it might be worth it.
0: Yep. Also, um, I'll be a guest on um, I Do Movies Badly. I just recorded that recently. Uh, That's a show where um, the host... Gets recommended three movies by a, usually by a director, and the one that I chose was Paul Verhoeven. Ooh! And then he follows that up by watching those films and sort of gives his opinion on them. Very. You want to cool. guess what Verhoeven films I picked?
1: Uh, I'm guessing RoboCop, Starship Troopers, and uh, something else.
0: No Starship Troopers, although the host Jim Rohnor criticized me for that, but. Huh. Instead, I did um, Katie Tipple, which is one of his early Dutch films. Uh, I did Starship Troopers, and I did Basic Instinct. You just said you
1: didn't do Starship
0: Troopers. Oh, I mean, I didn't do RoboCop. Oh, RoboCop. I'm
1: sorry. I was very
0: I confused. got criticized for RoboCop. Yep. I didn't do the thing I said I was going to do when I said I wasn't going to do it. All right. Comedy. So... Comedy, comedy. Uh, Again, on Twitter, I'm M-A-T-W-B-T. The show's at SequelCast2. And Thrasher, you are at Internet Mayor? That is correct. Okay, good night, ladies and germs. Boom, baby! This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.